0: Dr. Grady Nesbitt on the Herbal Hour podcast, again, to speak on a fascinating topic. We wanted to talk about cognitive enhancement today, Uh, nootropics, all the different approaches to supporting mental focus, clarity. Uh, This is a topic that has been very popular uh, for probably the last decade or so with many advances in different herbs that people have researched to be able to improve cognitive function, different medicinal mushrooms, and a variety of other means. Um, so welcome, welcome to the show, Grady. It's good to have you on again.
1: Good to be on. Where should we start? That's such a, a wide world to explore. It is.
0: So what what is a nootropic, right? That's the the popular term, these substances that are held to have these effects.
1: I mean, I I liked your definition. It's a cognitive enhancer, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and there's obviously different dimensions of cognitive function that particular nootropics really benefit. Um, so, you know, just to kind of rattle a few off, like focus, memory, creativity, um, as you describe it, dreamlike thinking, like abstract thinking versus linear thinking, um, mental stamina, just the ability to to maintain like that cognitive horsepower for a substantial length of time. Mm.
2: Um,
1: you know, and there's a lot of overlap with particular nootropics of, of what areas they affect. Um, and some are, are reasonably well understood in terms of pharmacology or the phytochemistry, you know, depending upon if it's a pharmaceutical or a nutraceutical Mm. or a botanical. Um, And then there are some that are, you know, still kind of a mystery, even after, in some case, I mean, with pharmaceuticals, decades of use, but obviously with millennia of use for the natural stuff. Mm.
0: Why do you think there's been such an increased interest in uh, nootropics and cognitive enhancement in general? We got movies like limitless, you know, there's this magical pill you can take and it'll make you very smart and be able to predict stock
1: changes. It's a good movie. It is a good movie, right? Entertaining movie. And then there's the show too. I mean, I think that that may have spawned the interest to a degree. I mean, it would not, I wouldn't go so far as to say spawn, but it like it added momentum mm-hmm. to, you know, whatever that movement was initially. Um Maybe it kind of took root in like the 1960s when LSD arrived on the scene, mm. where you know, kind of the, the mental barriers were taken down a little bit by that particular substance that obviously impacted society, but then you mm. know, art, politics, etc. Um, just the collective consciousness, and then psilocybin, obviously the more um, the natural counterpart to LSD. And I think about that same time, a lot of the pharmaceutical antidepressants were being developed. Mm. Um, Arbiturates had already been around for decades, but then like tricyclic antidepressants were developed in the 60s. So I think you could describe it as like a gradual progression of at least Western people because, you know, for indigenous um, ethnobotanical uses like the herbs and the mushrooms have been used for millennia. But for us, you know, our bias culturally um, and as a medical system is towards the pharmaceuticals. Um, Mm. I feel like, you know, at that point in history, and it kind of took off a bit.
2: I think,
0: too, that it's an adaptation and it's a response for the challenging times that people live in now where, you know, if they work on the computer, uh, they do something over the Internet or they have another kind of technologically related job. they might be sitting from, you know, eight or nine in the morning till the late evening, nonstop uh, working, doing very intricate uh, operations with their mind and requiring the use of their minds. Um, and then people in obviously other, uh, scenarios where they have to work and stay focused for long periods of time. Like you were talking about, um, the military, like one of the uses of, uh, modafinil, which is a wakefulness, uh, uh, promoting agent used a lot for narcolepsy but it's also used you were saying for uh, fighter pilots and other yeah. long, uh, long distance uh, military personnel who have to stay
1: so, yeah, away where focus has to be sustained for many many hours like beyond the normal human span of ability like for mm. fighter pilots who would fly like a 36 hour mission or mm. green berets who are behind enemy lines and that's mm you know at the upper limit we'll talk doses of that later but it's it's really intended to push the limits of human capacity physical and mental
0: it's that common uh desire of humans to be better to to do better to be better adapted to to grow and this is one of those uh areas of you know biohacking about like hacking your physiology and your biology and Uh, improving your ability to do whatever it is you want to do with your uh, mind and body. And I think nootropics are, in general, a very interesting category of substances. Uh, One, because there's just so many different ways to go about it. Like, there's nootropics that work because they're very stimulating. There's others that work because they enhance memory. There's others that help more with focus. Uh, And so there's a wide range of substances that can uh, it enhance your cognition, but they work through very different pathways in uh, many cases. Yeah. Um, so let's just dive right into the the realm of nootropics. What would you say are some of the most significant nootropic areas to understand or uh, substances?
1: Well, um, I guess we can. Some of the departure could be the pharmaceuticals. So we mentioned modafinil. Mm. Um, which is, as you say, a wakefulness promoting agent, great for focus. Um, There's also the racetams, which are pretty well known. um, And and those are better understood to be more uh, promoting of like a more powerful memory, uh, Mm -hmm. consolidation of memory, but also being able to retrieve that information. Um, And then some of them, I mean, there's there's a lot of permutations of the basic paracetam template. Uh, And there's more and more all the time. They're still under development. Um, And then another one that I'm particularly fond of is Nuopet, which is, you know, kind of a branch off of the evolutionary tree of racetans. It was synthesized in your homeland, the Soviet Union. Yes. Um, But, you know, it's a viable Uh, nootropic at a much smaller dose than the racetams it's just a very very strong Mm. racetam-ish substance Mm -hmm.
0: so the Um, racetams there's uh peracetam oxiracetam aniracetam there is this group of uh, compounds that have a similar uh action but they're metabolized differently i think my molecular structure too might be it how do they in general exert their effects uh, like racetams, piracetam, oxiracetam, et cetera, have been well known as nootropics for quite a while and are kind of some of the, the biggest, most experimented with, uh, versions. Do you, are you yeah. familiar at all with how they work? Like what, yeah. what physiological effect do they have that makes them a nootropic? They're
1: simultaneously cholinergic and mm. glutaminergic. Mm-hmm. Um, they basically increase the rate at which the brain uses choline, you know, and down the line acetylcholine, which is the primary parasympathetic neurotransmitter. And, and to learn, it's always best to be in a relaxed parasympathetic state. Mm -hmm. So it kind of facilitates that, but also, you know, the frontal lobe really runs on acetylcholine, also dopamine. Um, but it's a big part of, you know, executive functioning biochemically. Um, so basically it's like revving your engine up to a higher RPM. So you're burning more gas. And I've noticed with the racetams and also with NuopEP, um, you basically have to take a choline supplement. Like you will not feel good after a few hours, you know, it'll have, it'll be the opposite effect that you intended because you've burned up all your choline.
0: And so how does the choline supplement, uh, help there? It helps, uh, it acts as a precursor for... Yeah, it's
2: raw material. Choline.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so there's a lot of, you know, formats that you can choose by tartrate is very basic and very affordable. Um, you have to take a higher dose, you know, and we're talking like grams as opposed to milligrams.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: but then I I really like alpha-GPC choline uh, and then phosphatidylcholine as well.
0: What is alpha-GPC choline? Is that... A- especially a patented way of making choline or?
1: Yeah, I feel like it's got an extra moiety attached onto the choline and same Mm. with um, CDP choline. I don't recall off the top of my head. I think the take home from my experience, because I've used both Mm. um, is that alpha GPC choline works quicker. Um, CDP choline works slower, but that's also, um, that also provides more of a structural building block for neuronal cellular membranes. Mm. Um, So you get that like microcellular anatomical benefit from the CDP specifically. Mm. That's why I would opt for that one.
0: So the Rastatams in general, uh, from my experience and what I've read, uh, they take some period of time to really come into effect. They're not necessarily something that, you know, you take, you know, before you need to study or do some kind of work but that it you take it every day and it has a kind of building up effect is that, yeah, is I, that mean, I would use?
1: i would disagree with that to an extent like i, I feel the effects of racetans pretty immediately okay um you know i and i agree with your point that it's better with time um especially nuopept i mean that's one that's recommended to take for you know at least a month before you mm-hmm
2: what's the
0: uh half-life of the racet in general i guess they're different because they're water on the, the quicker side like yeah. several hours or
1: yeah i know aniracetam is around two so mm. very very fast for a drug and then oxiracetam is about eight to twelve i forget exactly phenylparacetam yeah. is four i think mm. um, and so phenylparacetam that's it bears mention it's the racetam, but then it's got the phenyl moiety attached to it, which makes it fat soluble. So that's Mm -hmm. actually able to cross the blood brain barrier. That was the tension when it was developed and you it's recommended in a much smaller dose than say aniracetam or oxiracetam. Mm -hmm. I noticed that it's particularly energizing of all the racetams that I've tried. Um, And I I would say it's my preferred.
2: Mm.
0: And the the Rastams, uh, none of them are – are they used as, as pharmaceuticals at all or they're pretty much just over the counter?
1: Um, I know in Europe they're available only by prescription. In the U.S., if you find the right website, you can buy them off of there. Uh, right. It's not necessarily that they're prescribed. Mm-hmm. Um, I think maybe one uh, of the subcategories is um, – and I feel like it's it's meant to treat seizure disorder. I forget the name of it, though. And I could be completely mistaken about that. Mm. Um, but yeah, basically, depending on where you are in the world, it's mm. kind of a different legal status.
0: What does one notice when taking the RAS stamps in terms of their nootropic effects? Like, what are the things that, from your experience, you really noticed it was helpful for?
1: well assuming that i'm taking it with a choline supplement it also Mm -hmm. helps to eat like for people who pursue intermittent fasting i would say approach with caution because it's something that i do so it really helps to eat you know have blood sugar and then also a choline supplement assuming i've i've done those things um, to enhance the experience i would say mental clarity and also you know the the better memory in and out and focus they're not particularly stimulating phenylparacetam is though um you know i I would say that they're a little bit more subtle than modafinil they feel a little less pharmaceutical it's kind of a more broad focus that you have as opposed to like the narrow linear focus of modafinil that we'll describe in more detail momentarily um Well balanced, I guess, is another word to describe them as a nootropic. A lot of people love them. Um, Aniracetam is another one that I'm particularly fond of. That one I would describe as feeling the least pharmaceutical. Um, Mm. That's it's very similar to Bacopa, I guess, in terms Mm. of the overall experience. And then Oxiracetam is more towards the modafinil end in terms Mm. of like linear thought. So if you want to access the rational brain in addition to memory. It's a great study mm-hmm. drug, as you can imagine.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I, in my undergrad, uh, especially in a lot of my biology courses, I experimented with um, the racetams, per racetam, you know, taking every day. And I noticed uh, some effect. But for me, the oxyracetam was the most noticeable in terms of effect. It was the most uh, immediately uh, kind of energizing to the mind. And I used it. Uh, for the period of a few days when I was studying for organic chemistry. So you remember organic chemistry where there's all these different like molecules and you're drawing them and all this. By the time I reached the test, like I could just see, like I could just see the molecules like in my mind's eye. Um, And I'm not, and I'm not really that much of like a visually like imaginative type of person. But I noticed that when I was taking the oxy it like, was kind of almost enhancing my mind's ability to make these connections and to kind of learn and absorb information in like a not typical way to where i was actually really seeing the patterns and so it really changes the way your your mind functions and the the way it works and um, if it's a, a helpful nootropic it helps that.
1: Mm-hmm. Well i think too with the i mean maybe this is the the reason for the greater benefit over the long term. Um, I just remembered that I think they all increase uh, BDNF, brain-derived mm. neurotrophic factor. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's basically like it's described as miracle growth for the brain. It refurbishes the neurons. Uh, and then also, too, it encourages the growth and development of synapses. So just mm. more brain connectivity from region to region. And mm. uh, BOPEP is actually particularly strong in that department. Mm -hmm. Um, this is why the racetams have been utilized for traumatic brain injury because of that sort of structural refurbishment that occurs. I think that was what, one of the the first indications for paracetam, um, Mm -hmm. also too, I, I would mention about anaracetam and neuropept that they do increase verbal fluency to a pretty high degree. So your you know, elocution, your ability to find the right word, not pausing for words, which is. You know kind of a good barometer of a, a well-functioning mm. brain. Mm.
0: So let's get into modafinil. That's yeah one of the most popular and most, um, I guess, well-known within the nootropic sphere as one of the classic nootropics. That right. there's no question that it has uh, that effect. Uh, so can you can you speak a little bit more about modafinil, how it works, what it's uh, what it's used for? What it's actually indicated for from a prescription standpoint.
1: Yep, and also to um, for people who are curious because it is so well known and renowned. There's a lot of resources on it. There's a lot of mm. anecdotal um, experience that's around the internet. So in addition to what we're going to say, like there's plenty of resources. Um, it was so the prodrug a draphenil, which is available without a prescription in the United States. That was developed in the 1960s by a French pharmaceutical company, LaRoche, um, as a wakefulness promoting agent. And the particular term for that is a ugoric, um, which is often confused with ergogenic, which it is both of those simultaneously. An ergogenic substance facilitates work and production. Um, so it allows you to accomplish more and be really, really awake. Um, It's not particularly well understood biochemically, although we have a a basic inkling that it sort of modulates the ratio, or yeah, the sort of um, relationship between glutamate, which is our excitatory neurotransmitter, and then GABA, which is our relaxing one. Um, Glutamate is associated with just enhanced brain activity and particularly learning. The process of learning is really supported by um, having abundant and adequate glutamate. Um, the racetams also increase glutamate in addition to choline. Mm. Um, so they have that in common. Um,
0: so um, I mean, modafinil and the racetams in general, are they also acting on uh, the other neurotransmitters like uh, dopamine, which is involved in that kind of motivational reward behavior, right. which they um, seem to, they, at least experientially, they seem to be working on those pathways by some mechanism.
1: So I think with, let's say, nicotine, for instance, which is a cholinergic substance, it's Mm. also dopaminergic once you have the cholinergic stimulus. That's what produces the dopamine release. Mm. Um, So it may work in a similar regard. I would honestly say that there's a lot of similarity in terms of how racetams feel with nicotine. It's pretty similar. Um, Mm. So yeah, maybe. I don't remember off the top of my head if, if the racetams are considered dopaminergic but I recall that modafinil is to a degree. I mean, it's not Mm. like, you know, a big promoter of that like bupropion or, you know, the pharmaceutical amphetamines Mm. like Adderall and Ritalin. Mm. Uh, So maybe to a smaller degree and and also to a small degree, norepinephrine. So those are basically your filters. Like dopamine is more associated with pleasure and motivation and norepinephrine Mm. is like focus, you know, fight or flight, like this is what's right in front of me. This is the problem I have to address.
0: Yeah. I found it fascinating that there's a good amount of research going around studying modafinil uh, for depression, long-term yes. use and for other uh, psychiatric issues. Um, and that would certainly make sense if it did have some kind of dopamine, dopaminergic or um, serotonergic effects. Yep. Um, and obviously modulating GABA and glutamate could, could have a, big part in those
1: um so on that point the caution would be watch out for insomnia i mean obviously mm. that side effect is pretty dose dependent the mm. the normal therapeutic range is between 50 and 400 milligrams a day
2: so mm. reasonably
1: broad um, by default i think the tablets are usually 200 milligrams mm. um, and the 400 milligram dose is kind of you know, that's useful in the example of, like, special forces missions. Like, that's mm-hmm. basically a guarantee that you're not going to sleep for at least 36 hours.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so everyday users, unless you need to stay awake for a really long time, like, I would not go down that route. Mm. Um, a lot of people get good effects with 50 milligrams and are able to sleep fine. Um, yeah, so somewhere in that range
0: would be Mm. what would you say are the biggest benefits of uh modafinil in terms of its nootropic effects like what is most significant about how it is helpful for doing you know long mental work
1: or even physical i would say um not just focus but the motivation to learn i mean and the motivation to accomplish you know if If your job is inherently intellectual in nature, like you're in finance or a lawyer or a physician, a lot of physicians actually use metafinol for one thing because we're notoriously sleep deprived.
2: Uh, Um, And and
1: for any profession where that's just par for the course, um, it's it's, uh, very useful in those situations. Um, I would say that what it's not is something that allows for sort of a broad bird's eye view focus. Bogdan and I were talking about this earlier. It promotes a very like linear mindset. Um, your irrational brain um, filters out a lot of distraction, but then if you need inspiration mm. coming from a different hemisphere of the brain, um, you're not really going to be able to benefit from that aspect.
0: Right. Cause it, it kind of turns your brain on in a very, uh, in a very certain way where the kind of thinking that happens um, as I was mentioning in dream, like more associative thinking, more symbolic, more creative lateral thinking where you're, every idea is kind of spreading out and giving more ideas. That's the more kind of like closer to unconsciousness and sleep and dream and people who can you know meditate, put themselves in a certain trance or through music or through substances can bring themselves more into that associative creative place. But things like uh, the Rastams and Modafinil Um, And a lot of nootropics that work on these like wakefulness systems, whether it's serotonin or uh, what have you, they seem to really focus your mind in a more linear pathway. So like rational thinking, if that, then this really good for any kind of like, it's used a lot, obviously by computer programmers and people who are doing intense um, calculating work or anything that like, you know, Rational thinking is ideal. And then that kind of brings in a good area of the nootropics, um, that promote lateral thinking. So now, uh, there are at low dose psychedelics, like low dose psilocybin or low dose LSD, AKA microdosing, which is essentially taking, uh, such a small amount that you don't actually have that psychedelic trip from it, but you do notice some of the cognitive enhancing, uh, elements of it without, you know, having any serious, um, you know, issues throughout your day, just going about mm-hmm. your day, still being able to function like a, a normal human. Um, and that's interesting too, because obviously the microdosing LSD became very popular and well known within the Silicon Valley yeah. circles of computer that's programmers. Computer so because that, because LSD uh, microdosing really does encourage lateral thinking, even in very small doses. That's an example of uh, a potential nootropic. And there uh, has been some good research on uh, small dose. I think it was on LSD and psilocybin of the fact that it increases uh, sensitivity, increases like ability of eyes to focus on objects and do certain executive functions. So it does seem to have a nootropic effect. Um, so that's kind of I know
1: someone wink wink nudge nudge because I've never had personal firsthand experience with LSD um but this particular person drew the most amazing picture that they have ever drawn before it was like the highlight of their artistic career Oh wow so in terms of artistic creativity uh, and you know Andy Warhol is a good example of it I mean that guy like ate it for breakfast lunch and dinner most of the time. <laughs> um so yeah I mean that that's sort of artistic movement was partially facilitated by mm. LSD. Mm.
0: So so we got the Rastams, then there's modafinil, which is kind of a standalone category, very uh, very stimulating in effects. What are the typical doses that are uh, used
1: for modafinil? for modafinil? Yeah. 50 to 400 milligrams. It's usually around 100 to 200. Like 50 is low dose and some people don't even feel that. Mm-hmm. um really for a lot of folks it's like an issue of allows you to sleep uh and by the way folks this is something that you take in the morning like taking it in the afternoon or early evening is i mean unless you don't want to sleep yeah
0: like- it has a really long half-life right i think um, modafinil had about
1: four hours it's not particularly long um, Armodafinil, which is an isomer it's the r isomer is like 15 hours so that's a, a new development that happened within the last like 20 years i think um so for people who really really need all that staying power um they're normally prescribed armadafinil one thing two viewers don't drink or at least like keep your alcohol consumption very minimal and that's especially true of a drafinil like if you're taking a drafinil which is available without a prescription there's plenty of websites where you can just buy a draft because you know, it's perfectly mm. legal
0: I'm, I'm seeing here when i look in that the half-life of modafinil uh elimination half-life is about 15 hours so 10 to 12 hour range in most of these okay so i, I think a is
1: even longer than that that might be armadafinil.: Oh uh, okay That's what i remember about armadafinil particularly
0: yeah, so that that's an interesting concept to, uh, to talk about, uh, half-lives. It's really important um, to understand because some substances obviously like um, a modafinil and then what was it, a drafinil? They have a really, really long half-life, meaning uh, a half-life is basically the amount of time that half of that substance will be eliminated if you wait. So if something has a half-life of six hours, that means after six hours of your body processing the substance, it will have half of that amount left, so 50% less. And then another half-life, you'll have another 50% less. Um, okay. Where it comes interesting is all these uh, you know, dosing something. So if you, if you start taking something that has a 12-hour half-life, it will take you... Uh, There's this general rule of thumb that to reach any steady state in the blood or plasma of any pharmacologically active substance, a steady state meaning like, if you're taking it every day, when will it reach like the pinnacle and stay there? Or if you're weaning off, when will it reach like a stable state? So it's five, five half lives, right? So like, if something's like a 12 hour half life, then, you know, about two and a half days before you would reach like any stable amount, meaning if you took it every day, it would reach finally some kind of stable level where if you kept taking it, then it would stay there. Um, and same thing with, you know, suddenly stopping it. Cause if you uh, stop using a substance that has a 12 hour half-life, it'll, it'll still take, you know, about five, at least five half-lives of that um, to, to be, you know, out of your system completely. Right. So that that's an interesting thing there. when we talk about these substances, they have long-term impact.
1: Nicotine is a good example of, what the consequences are of a, a short half-life because mm. the half-life of nicotine is about two hours, you know, mm. and methamphetamine is pretty short too, especially when you smoke it. So drugs that have a longer half-life are far less habit-forming and drugs with a shorter half-life tend to be more habit-forming.
2: Right.
0: Cause the level lowers and then there's some kind of like craving to to get it back. What other nootropics would you consider among uh, the most uh, personally effective that you've used?
1: Bacopa Bacopa? The COPA The Copa number one daily. Yeah. Mm. And so it's it's similar um, to the racetans in that you get a greater benefit over time. Um, it works on a lot of neurotransmitters, um, dopamine, predominantly acetylcholine, that's the big one. And then GABA is the other big one that it works on. Also serotonin to a degree. So, I mean, basically almost all of them. Um, And it also increases brain-derived and neurotrophic factors. So you do get the structural refurbishment. Mm. Um, And it definitely improves verbal fluency. That's one of the indications in Ayurvedic medicine is that, you know, for for people with speech deficits to whatever degree, that was one of the old indications. And also, too, that it would allow the... um, Hindu mendicants to, um, memorize the, the big, like hymns, the scripture, because that was all an oral tradition. So facilitating, you know, just downloading mm. uh, a huge amount of information, but also too, I don't think it limits creativity to any degree. If anything, it enhances it. Um, so for that reason, it's one of my favorites and it's, it's something that you can take daily without issue. It's also a great analgesic as well.
2: Mm.
0: Yeah, Bacopa is really an uh, interesting plant. I've uh, experimented with tinctures of it in my uh, undergrad times and really noticed the effects of it. Like when I took a pretty uh, pretty significant dose of uh, Bacopa uh, tincture, which is like a liquid extract, um, and I was studying, I noticed that, my, first of all, my mind was in a different state. I felt almost this like the feeling that's associated with any kind of cholinergic substance mm-hmm. like that, uh, boosts acetylcholine, like your focus, like your mind feels very like open. Like it yep. feels like your mind is like clear and literally like spacious where you can just I kind did. of like read something and that makes sense and this and that. But what I noticed for myself too, which was interesting. Um, I definitely noticed increased memory. Like I'd be able to just have such so better recall. Like mm-hmm. I would read a, I would read like a paragraph you know how usually, um, you know, you'll read something and then a minute later you'll remember what you just read kind of kind of deal, like that usual short-term memory. But I didn't have that as much. I was able to kind of like remember things as they were happening. So it's really beneficial for memory acquisition, even though it's not really that mm-hmm. stimulating or the effects are not that obvious. It seems like things stick better. But what I noticed uh, for me with Bacopa is that I would, I don't, I guess I haven't experimented enough with it in enough uh, scenarios to know if this is for sure what the effect from Bacopa or whether the effect was just because I was, you know, on my second day of studying for finals, tons of caffeine, you know, not that much sleep. You're studying like 12 hours, et cetera. But I noticed when I took Bacopa, it would kind of make me almost like a little bit depressed. Like um, yeah. it would, it would give this kind of depressed feeling, but I was like very sharp and like, I would imagine it to be how somebody who is like very, very high functioning, um, especially in intellectual work, but they're like, you know, they're not like happy about it or anything. It didn't like produce like good feelings. It was just.
1: Yeah. I mean, maybe it's because it's modulating dopamine. Like for some people it would increase dopamine for some people it would lower dopamine. Mm. Um, maybe. I mean, I, that's just a presumption and conjecture on my part. Yeah. Um, but that's, I mean, with Raul Fio, which is, you know, a cardio specific, also an Ayurvedic herb. Like, I know that that one depletes kettle which are your mm. dopamine. And, right. They use it for uh, psychosis. So, yeah, maybe that's what's happening. Who knows? They're not yeah. related to botanical.
0: Yeah, I'll have, to, I'll have to give Bacopa another try. So one of the, uh, one of the next formulas um, for my tincture company that we're uh, working on right now is uh, nootropic and a focus boosting one. Um, Mm -hmm. so I'll definitely be experimenting a lot with Bacopa and other herbs to see, you know, how they affect over time. But if you were going to make, if you were going to make a mixture and put, let's say like three or four herbs in it, what, what would be in it? If it was like a nootropic cognitive memory focus tincture, we're talking like an uh,
1: alcohol extraction. Yeah. An
0: alcohol extraction. extraction.
1: Yeah. Well, so I don't know. I mean, I know that, Reishi is often extracted. I don't, I've never seen lion's mane extract.
0: Yeah, I haven't really either. I, I guess I have sometimes mixed into different mushroom mixes, but usually reishi is
1: definitely for sure. Bacopa. Bacopa yeah. would be my number one. Um, and it's also very well tolerated by all constitutional types, like in mm. Ayurvedic medicine, it's considered cold and dry. Mm. Um, so for damp heat, like pitta constitutions, like myself, and probably you too um it's particularly indicated but for you know but the folks it's probably not a good idea because it's going to aggravate that mm-hmm. um and it also tastes really nasty so I oh yeah it's
0: so bitter and disgusting with
1: that in a formula um you know but accounting for like constitutional differences like rhodiola is also pretty drying mm-hmm. um I noticed that for me, they play really, really nicely together. They're a really, really good team. Um, and rhodiola is basically like the closest thing that we have botanically to modafinil or any of the other stimulants. Um, so that's working very much to modulate dopamine, also serotonin um, and then norepinephrine. It's basically nature's bupropion. I've said mm-hmm. that in the previous podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, for me, they go together like peanut butter and jelly. I would mm. throw in a mushroom if it's going to be three. So rhodiola, bacopa, and then probably lion's mane. I don't do great with large doses. Like I benefit from particularly small doses of lion's mm. mane. Mm. Uh, and I, I just had some this morning and I was, you know, noticing what a great day I was having mood wise. And, you know, it was pretty easy to figure mm. out why that was. Like, oh, what about, um,
0: what about mucuna? Are you familiar with McCcuna uh, periens the uh, levodopa containing bean?
1: yeah, that's a great one. I mean
0: I wonder if that I mean, could have us so I was thinking of like the formula like Bacopa definitely but maybe something for the dopamine uh, dopaminergic effect too because a lot of the issue with cognitive enhancement is like the issue isn't that like that you know the memory isn't there to remember or the it's the motivation might not be there might be difficult to actually like sit down and just do the work that needs to be done.
1: That's just a solid choice. I mean, with, and I've noticed too that Macuna and the and also Bacopa are really synergistic. So, you know, you would be able to use probably smaller amounts of each um, Mm. and still, you know, achieve a pretty profound effect. Um, I've definitely noticed focus and motivation benefits from Macuna. um, And it's a lot gentler, say than Modafinil. so I think that would be a good um, addition. I mean, it's going to increase libido too for a lot of people. Like, no one would ever complain about that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it increases sexual functionality. And I think you know that, in addition to being a natural therapy, the Parkinson's disease is more what it's known for,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, especially in Ayurvedic medicine. But then, like, you know, it stands to reason with the dopamine boost that it would mm-hmm. improve some motivation.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Yeah. So that, that makes sense. Like, yeah, the bacopa and uh, one of the medicinal mushrooms like reishi or lion's mane. Uh, Are you familiar with any other uh, mushrooms that have nootropic effects? I know people talk about like chaga and um,
2: cordyceps.
1: You know, amongst like the legal ones, because obviously we can't grow psilocybin in there or at least not in today's world.
0: Yeah, Um, not yet, but, uh, well this November they're, uh, they're voting on the, I think it's called the IPe 34, uh, which is the Oregon, uh, vote to see if psilocybin therapy can become legal, which is basically using psilocybin to treat people psychotherapeutically. Yeah. Special licensed, uh, counselors would obviously be utilized, um, I think it's a great idea in terms of mental health treatments. I mean, the, the state of the treatment of mental health right now in this country and in the world is just egregious. There's such poor results uh, with what we have, which is mostly pharmacotherapies, you know, antidepressants, et cetera. There's, you know, it helps some people here and there, but it doesn't really help on any deeper Aspect and they're you know, antidepressants aren't meant to even be used for like more than a year, like they were developed as like temporary uh crutches Mm -hmm. for people who are going through a depressive episode. But usually, that's from something that happened in life or kind of helping someone rebound or bounce back. But people are on antidepressants for like 20, 30, 40 years, they're not meant to be used like that, and they're not even effective like that. Uh, But that's the best that we have, uh, in general and conventional. Uh, mental health therapy, um, on top of the fact that it sometimes could take you know a quarter or half a year to even get an appointment with a psychiatrist or even a psychologist in some cases, um, it's quite laughable. So hopefully the psychedelic therapies come in because I think they could be of great benefit to people in yeah. that sphere. It's cases of people who had you know major depression that was refractory treatment. Meaning mean, treatment was not really helping them, even with any pharmaceutical that was given. But a single session of psychedelic uh, therapy, along with the counseling, goes along with that and the reintegration, uh, had lasting benefits on the depression for right. like years afterwards from one experience. So there's something very fascinating about the potential of it. Um,
1: yeah, I'm excited. I mean, I, I feel like it's got a pretty good chance of passing. Um, I'd give it at least a 40% chance. So we'll see. Um, But as far as the medicinal mushrooms, I think this is a good segue since we're on the topic. Um, In my understanding, chaga is more of an antioxidant. I've never Mm -hmm. used it, so I can't speak to any nootropic benefits. Um, Cordyceps, maybe to a degree. I mean, it's kind of like, it's one of the anabolic steroids of Chinese medicine. Mm -hmm. Um, It is very much an ergogenic. Uh, It's indicated for adrenal deficiency, um, and then also like impotence and fatigue, Mm. because basically what it's doing is um, it modulates adenosine. So it's kind of like coffee to a degree, but then also the adrenal hormones, it promotes their synthesis. Mm. Uh, And then it's also a bronchodilator. So by that effect, you're getting better blood oxygenation. Mm. Yeah. So I, I haven't really noticed it as a cognitive improver too, too much, maybe a little bit. Um, but it's more of a physical performance enhancer, particularly like if you're going to do an endurance sport or even like an endurance sport that has a strength component, like rowing, for instance. Um, I've noticed that when I've spent time on a rowing machine for like 45 minutes to an hour, like cordyceps will just give you the lungs of a horse. Mm. So that, I mean, I feel like that would benefit a lot of people and it's mycelium nowadays, the wild stuff is just completely cross prohibitive. Um,
0: Yeah. I mean, it literally is a fungus that grows out of the head of a caterpillar. So it's as far as delicacies go go in the herbal world, it certainly is one.
1: Yep. Um, And then as far as lion's mane, I mean, that's, that's one that's not particularly well understood biochemically what's going on. Mm. Um, but what I do know about it is that it, it increases both neuronal derived growth factor, which is more, um, that's like, that heals uh, and refurbishes our neurons. And then also brain derived neurotropic factor, which does a similar thing, but that's more like promoting yeah. the development of synapses. Yeah. And-
0: I remember reading some uh, research about lines main, uh as you were saying, helping uh, the regrowth of damaged nerves right. in particular. That's
1: a lot of people, too.
0: The cool thing about the mushrooms in general, what I've noticed with them, like the reishi and the lion's mane and even psilocybin, they're all very specific to the nervous system. There's mm-hmm. some kind of affinity of mushrooms to the nervous system.
1: Visualize what mycelium looks like. That's right. That's know, for the most thing. part, it's like white, yeah. like our nerves, nerves are, but it's, yeah, it's just a big bundle of nerves. Mm. looking.
0: It's the doctrine of signatures, yep. right? That ancient idea that, uh, that, the healing potentials of the plants that we see can be seen in the the way the plant looks like a, a walnut looks like a brain good for your brain. Uh, yeah. you know, a tomato has the chambers of a heart has lycopene, which is really good for your heart. That might just be, you know, wishful thinking to, to believe that just because it looks like something um, it might have a, the healing effect there. But I think there's probably yeah. something to it because it's almost like seeing some kind of pattern in the universe.
1: Yeah. I mean, in Chinese medicine, you have the five phases, which are basically like energetic frequencies and wavelengths, mm. cause like each one is associated with a color and a particular mm. tone, mm. Um, all those correspondences. I mean, that's basically what it's describing. So maybe like the wavelength of a tomato, you know, is similar to the mm. resonant frequency of the heart. I don't know. That's mm. kind of
0: maybe the wavelength of a tomato with some wavelength of cheese. <laughs> it's a good mixture.
1: Um, so it feels like a good wavelength, man. I like the way you think yeah <laughs> um and then reishi reishi is also a pretty potent nootropic i would say, i mean my experience of reishi and i i don't know anything about it um biochemically other than its benefits on the cardiovascular system because mm.
2: it's
1: anti atherosclerotic and it reduces um cholesterol levels but it, it what it feels like to me is basically like you have a secretary you know upstairs who's very on the ball and kind of does you the favor of like filtering out stuff that's just an irrelevant distraction. Like it, it gets you focused on what is truly important. And it also kind of allows you to hone in on like the crux of a particular dilemma. But I don't know how it's achieving that effect. That's just mm. been my experience, and I really like it.
0: In Chinese medicine, reishi is specific too for the shen or the the spirit. What uh, what aspect of that? It seems like when I read about reishi and studied it, the emphasis was on almost the spiritual component of it in some in some way.
1: Yeah, it's. I mean, lingzhi is the Chinese word for it, and that simply means the spiritual fungus or the spiritual oh. mushroom. Hmm. um so it's in the name um and basically to talk about what shen is i mean i'm going to borrow heiner freuhaus definition but it's it's energy but it's intelligent energy and it's visible in someone's eyes it's like you know you have because you have these three treasures you have jing which is like essence and that has more of a physical form it's basically like reproductive and regenerative capacity and we lose it as time goes on that's like the wax of a candle Mm-hmm. And the flame is our qi, which is energy, um, that's simpler to define. But then the radiance of the candle in a dark room, like that's the shen. Mm. So it, it brings in that intelligent light force into the body.
0: Mm. Is, is shen related at all to the liver in functioning? Because I know the, the liver is related to the eyes, right? Yeah, it's more the heart
1: meridian or the, mm. the um, heart organ network
0: that's that's fascinating
1: so the the liver is more like the ethereal soul it's called the hun but mm. then the shin lives in the heart mm. and then like the the ethereal soul is um more involved with dreams you know since you're into dream therapy and, mm. and studying that um mm-hmm. basically like a dream is the hun the liver you know spiritual body like in search of food basically
0: mm. So is it actually leaving the body?
1: Yeah. Hmm. It leaves the body.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: it comes back, hopefully.
0: One of, the, one of the topics that I talked about for my uh, dream psychology class that I taught at Portland Community College was uh, the phenomenon of astral projection and techniques for actually being able to consciously have an out-of-body experience. And I've had some very fascinating experiences with it. So I
1: thought Rishi would be awesome for that.
0: It seems like it would be, right? I'll have to. That'll be an interesting thing to experiment. And it's also interesting too to ask that, like, what kind of reishi were you know these ancients having? Like, maybe yeah. their reishi was super potent, and they were actually even having like a mild psychedelic
1: experience with it. Right. I mean, they How were far definitely far? wild crafting, but nowadays we're using mycelium. You know, under most. Well, I guess that's not true. I mean, mycelium is more for cordyceps, um, and reishi is pretty easy to propagate. Um. But, you know, replicating like the environmental factors in a lab is very, very hard to do. Like cordyceps grown in a lab, like for one thing, do they have the same caterpillar? Like normally they're grown on mealworms um, and it's it's occurring at a certain elevation. Like cordyceps grows at like 12,000 feet minimally. So it's an oxygen deprived environment. So that's, you know catalyzing like an epigenetic cascade that makes wild cordyceps so strong Mm -hmm. so i wonder if in like you know the temperate forests of china and japan you know that have a certain temperature that fluctuates throughout the year there's certain Mm -hmm. uh trees that grow there that the wild rishi would right uh, and plants
0: change a lot right over evolution and selective cultivation i mean a perfect example is uh cannabis right over what is yeah. Let's say over, you know, 50, 60 years, the chemical composition of cannabis right. has completely changed. Like the cannabis that was normally growing in the wild and cultivated, you know, even in the 50s and 60s, yeah. the cannabis that exists now through all the uh, selective breeding and hybridization, yeah. that stuff, you know, it might be 20, 30, 100 times stronger in yeah. terms of the chemical constituents and even what is included in it. So uh, that's the kind of interesting thing about plants. And going back to cordyceps and uh, reishi or any other substance, it's, it was in a specific location of geography, and also it might have had these conditions. So that that's really the that's one of the biggest issues of um, herbal medicine in general is finding really good sources of the herbs because certain herbs, like when you powder them or if you make them in certain methods, like they don't really have much of the healing effect that they're thought to. um, Mm -hmm. Whereas another form would. So that's the, that's the kind of interesting thing. And that's one of the biggest arguments against herbs versus, you know, pharmaceuticals is it's hard to, you know, know the, amount of the constituents and to be sure that just because it's the same plant that it doesn't have, you know, 10 times more of that substance because of where it was grown. So what are some other uh, nootropics? So we, so we tackled the racetams, we got modafinil, we talked a little bit about the medicinal mushrooms. What are some like other key uh, nootropics that you think of? Like maybe some supplements.
1: Yeah. Let's dive into that. Compounds. So the nutraceuticals. So basically to define that it's a substance that occurs naturally in the human body, or it's an essential nutrient that occurs in nature that the human body needs. And all of these things can be, you know, to some degree synthesized in a lab where they have to be extracted from the environment, like magnesium, for instance. Um, There's one substance that kind of straddles the worlds of pharmaceutical nootropics and nutraceuticals. It's called solbutyamine. Mm. Uh, and what what it is is a thiamin dimer so thiamin is vitamin b1 um and a lot of people experience like a boost in energy and cognitive horsepower from taking b vitamins the thing is that b vitamins aren't fat soluble they're water soluble which is why you know when you take a b vitamin substance or or supplement that your urine is really yellow that's because of the riboflavin um but that just proves a point that they're highly water soluble Mm -hmm. now if you put two of the same molecule together you get symmetry and what that means is non-polarity so like a polar mo- molecule is going to be water soluble a nonpolar molecule like a fat is going to be able to cross through a cellular membrane so, so the is able to pass the blood-brain barrier way more effectively um, than just normal thiamine that would occur in a B vitamin supplement. And the other thing too, is that the doses that you can acquire silbutyamine in are much, much higher than what you would find in a B vitamin. We're talking like between 200 and 600 milligrams of highly bioavailable vitamin B1. Mm. Um, so
0: so silbutyamine is, it's B1, but it just is very good at crossing the blood brain barrier. So getting right mm-hmm. into the brain. So what
1: effects right. does it have from, from that? Um, So it feels more natural than modafinil. I mean, it is quite similar to modafinil. It's very energizing. Uh, it promotes focus. Uh, it improves mood. And all of this has to do with it promoting the synthesis of catecholamines. So not only is the B1, you know, upregulating like the cellular processes, like the energetic pathways, the metabolic pathways, just by virtue of that's what they run on. Um, but then also, too, it's it's contributing to the direct synthesis of dopamine and norepinephrine. Mm. Um, but being you know derived from nature, I think the body tolerates it a lot better than a pharmaceutical. Um, also, you know something that I've noticed personally, and you'll find this particular anecdote, you know all over the internet, it really, really improves erectile function and it might even improve sexual function in women. Um, but that's one of the indications in Europe. So this is a situation where it's available by prescription in Europe.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but then in, in North America and presumably other countries, you can just buy it from whatever supplement warehouse. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's one of the indications in the European medical system. This is for uh,
0: a
2: timing
1: yeah for for erectile dysfunction, but then it's you know it's not necessarily like the vascular or hormonal component of sexuality like this is and most people misunderstand like there's a very um fundamental integral component of sexuality that's predicated on particularly dopamine mm-hmm. um, a lot of neurotransmitters so for people who are not feeling like connected to their partner necessarily um or there's there's some you know, overarching depression or other psychological barrier to them having a healthy libido, it would probably be a really good choice.
2: Mm, interesting.
0: Is there anything else that solbutymin is taken with, or it's just kind of used um, on its own? I mean, like you use, like, the other B vitamins it or? or.
1: yeah, I, I haven't, it's, it's synergistic with say Bacopa, for instance, that's a really nice combo. Mm.
2: Um,
1: you know, and if you were to combine it with rhodiola, you probably wouldn't sleep because they're both really energizing and, and kind of redundant with the
0: mm. dopamine. So what's and the that, dosage usually of the sulbutyamine?
1: About 200 to 600 milligrams. It's mm-hmm. pretty typical. Um, you know, you could go higher than that, but I mean, that's that's typically the range that people tolerate the best.
2: Mm-hmm. And it
1: also is something like, it's not habit forming, but you do build a tolerance to it. So you would need mm-hmm. to use progressively greater amounts as time goes mm-hmm. on. And it would also presumably bioaccumulate in fat tissue because it is fat soluble. I mean, maybe when the the molecular bond is cut into, then it becomes water soluble, but Mm. I think to a degree, it would accumulate within fat. Mm.
0: Interesting. Is there any kind of other precursors or supplements uh, Mm. that you've experimented with or heard of? I know there's some people uh, take like L-tryptophan which is a precursor to serotonin. Mm -hmm. Some take L-tyrosine, which is obviously a precursor to uh, uh, dopamine. Mm -hmm. Um, And then obviously there's choline and there's other kind of amino acids, branch chain amino acids, even uh, creatine is used Mm -hmm. for its uh, nootropic. Have you found any, um, any kind of research or personal experience uh, with those being helpful?
1: Yeah, I have personal experience with tyrosine and creatine being helpful. L-tryptophan, which, as Bogdan said, is the precursor to serotonin, I usually take 5-HTP. Mm. Um, just it's quicker to act, and you can use a smaller dose, but that's more indicated for insomnia and then also depression. I haven't noticed too much in the way of like improved cognitive function because of 5-HTP, um, but L-tyrosine, particularly, yes, um, because that L-tyrosine is the precursor not only to L-dopa, dopamine, epinephrine, norepinephrine, um, it's also the, the underlying uh, building block of thyroid hormone. So for people who are, you know, living with hypothyroidism um, and then with the depression that comes with it, it would be a good choice, but just then to like people lacking in energy, brain fog, um, people that need more mental energy and focus. And you want to go with something really, really natural that the body tolerates really well. Um, L-tyrosine, particularly n tyrosine, which makes it more water soluble, therefore absorbable, is probably a good choice. And you can dose that between like 200 and 1,000 milligrams is pretty typical. Um, I like it. I mean, my body likes it, tolerates it well. Um, so that's that's a pretty safe one to reach for. And then creatine, you know, we were talking about this earlier, um, is is showing great effect in treating traumatic brain injuries. Uh, And I don't know if that has to do with the same like structural refurbishment that the racetams or Bacopa would provide, but, you know, basically it's, it's energy, like you're putting energy, you know, high energy phosphate molecules into your body. uh, And it basically allows you to produce more ATP, which makes it particularly useful for strength athletes um, because, you know, your ATP needs to resynthesize between reps. Uh, and it makes that occur more quickly um, and in greater amounts. But then, too, most people don't understand that. Yes, you know, skeletal muscle is like the biggest repository for creatine, which we can synthesize from you know our diet from various amino acids. The other two big repositories for creatine are the brain and the gonads. So, and creatine, um, which is this is very cool. It actually is one of the most reliable ways to naturally increase testosterone because if Mm. testicles are producing or they have more energy, they produce more testosterone. And we're talking a bump that's like 20%. So it's pretty appreciable. Um, But then, in terms of how that would increase cognitive capacity, you would just have more energy. Mm. So if you if you want to cover all those bases creatine would probably be a good choice it's just yeah what's
0: what's the dose it. that's typically taken i know creatine monohydrate that's the one that's uh used yeah most.
1: that's what the dosage? one a lot of people use um and, and normally it's understood you know this is among like the gym bro meathead community that mm-hmm. I, I you know dip my toes in that water occasionally but uh, there's a loading phase that lasts for about a week and you're supposed to load like 20 grams a day for a week. Oh, wow. Um, I don't do that. I actually take a creatine magnesium chelate
2: hmm.
1: uh, because creatine monohydrate for me. And for a lot of people is really hard on the digestive system. Like it can definitely give you nausea and upset stomach and diarrhea. Um, yeah. And that's a lot of people that have both side effects, but then the chelate um, is I tolerate it much better in terms of my gastrointestinal system. Mm. Uh, And it's also, you get a cool bonus of having supplemental magnesium, which a lot of people are deficient in, Mm. but for that, you know, I'm using about, I think it works out to about two and a quarter grams of creatine a day. Mm. I don't load. um, And I'm a pretty, I respond pretty typically to most substances Mm. and I also respond pretty quickly. so if I were to take, you know, on my initial day of like a two month cycle of creatine, I would be able to feel the strength benefit that day.
2: Really? You'll so it's pretty quick acting.
1: Hydrated. Yeah. It's, I mean, yeah, it's it's taken up easily and then it gets to work right away. The only thing is that you need to be uh, conscientious about staying adequately hydrated because it's, you know, by osmosis, it's the same with like glycogen. Like for every molecule of glycogen, it binds to like three or four molecules of water. And the same is true with creatine. So you'll gain weight um but it'll be in the right places it's basically like your muscles will have more fluid in it um so that will make you look like you gained 5 to 10 pounds of muscle and that's kind of the normal um weight gain that people can expect if they've been on it for a few months hmm.
0: Interesting. And then what happens if someone suddenly goes off of it? Does it have any kind of like rebound negativity or?
1: I mean, you don't. So under normal circumstances, people take it to gain strength. Like it's a legal substance, you know, in most professional sports and in bodybuilding, um, it's yields a very reliable and it's actually one of the most studied substances. There's like 4,000 or 5,000, probably closer to 10,000 studies at this point in time. It's really well studied. Um, and yeah, it, it's very well-tolerated, definitely speaking. And it gives, you know, for a lot of people about a 10 to 15% increase in strength on one rep max. Like that's what they're measuring for these particular studies in like the barbell squat or the bench press or the deadlift. Um, so a good gain in strength and it enables you, this is an ergogenic substance. It enables you to work harder. And by doing that, you know, similar to anabolic steroids, you're able to work harder. You build more muscle because you work your muscles harder Is the end of the result.
0: Mm. Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, Creatine is one of the interesting ones because it's typically thought of for its muscle, uh, enhancement and for the. Like weightlifting, resistance training, et etc., but it is interesting too that it can have some nootropic effects. Yep. Um, obviously, the the brain is very rich in mitochondria, producing energy. Yep. In fact, that's probably where most of our calories go uh, in current times, so just to the functioning of our nervous system and uh, and thinking. So there's also the approach more through kind of uh, diet and lifestyle of boosting cognition, um, and having a nootropic effect. Is there, um, is there any diets that you think might have some benefit? I know there's, uh, the ketogenic diet, there's, uh, intermittent fasting. Um, and in my own experience, I've noticed that, um, doing intermittent fasting really improves my focus, my mental clarity, memory, willpower, mood, etc., cetera. Um, mm-hmm. and that, being very heavy uh, carb diet seems to take away from that. It makes me kind of more sleepy, more drowsy, et cetera.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the issue there is with insulin. So mm-hmm. obviously with a higher carbohydrate diet, you're getting, you know, and if you're taking, if you're having meals frequently throughout the day that are heavy in carbohydrates, like your insulin is spiking and crashing. And then so is your blood sugar along with that. So I think generally like the principle with how diet can contribute to focus or lack thereof is having stable blood sugar. Uh, and that's actually for kids, like one of the best ways to treat ADHD and go figure, like if they're eating school lunches, you know, with like unnaturally sweetened fruit juice and like pizza and whatever the hell they're feeding the poor little kids these days, Mm -hmm. no wonder there's so much ADHD. Um, Mm. Then by contrast, like parents who are willing to pack a lunch for their kids, you know, we can recommend this to parents, you know, um, who have kids who are living with ADHD is to emphasize snacks and meals that could help to stabilize their blood sugar. So like lower glycemic stuff, because our body can make sugar. I mean, it's the non-essential amino acids, um, fat, you know, sugar is not a dietarily required nutrient. Um, it's very valuable, and the nervous system loves glucose. Um, so then, intermittent fasting—that's you know, also kind of um, running from that same vein—is that it's keeping your blood sugar nice and stable. But I've I've actually noticed the same benefits that you have. I mean, I like it for almost spiritual reasons. Like, mm-hmm. every day is basically Ramadan in my life, um, and and most religious traditions, you know kind of have concluded independently of each other that you're only able to reach like your most, your deepest states of spiritual awareness when you're hungry. Mm-hmm. You know, it allows you to focus on what's really important to dematerialize.
0: Yeah. I mean, that makes sense in a lot of ways. Um, one is all that energy of the body isn't going into just digestion because right. that's a very, very dense, uh, very nervous system circulatory system requiring activities to digest food and obviously the parasympathetic nervous system has to be active during that um
1: like 10 percent of the calories in a meal get consumed in the digestive process Mm.
0: yeah and if you eat celery right there's no calories in it at all (laughs) apparently i don't know that's probably not true
1: (laughs) well i mean there's maybe like Ten calories in like a whole bushel of celery, but mm. it's pretty negligible.
0: I was seeing in the uh, uh, the nootropic circles. I think I was actually uh, watching Tim Ferriss talk about it. Has some of his favorite uh, nootropics that he uses. So he's kind of like an entrepreneur. Wrote books right, no, on uh, body hacking, um, but he was talking about using uh, ketones, exogenous ketones. Um, so in general, people might have heard of the ketogenic diet. Uh, that's essentially a very, very high fat diet uh, with moderate protein and very low carbs, like right. under 50 grams, like under pure, 30 pure, grams pure. for like a true ketogenic diet. Um, and what's interesting about that diet is once uh, the body changes the way it metabolizes things, um, it starts breaking down fats into ketones and ketones are a very good source of fuel for the brain. So there's a few different ketones that are released. There's three, I believe, um, from fats. And in general, those are the effects of that increased clarity or mental focus or feeling energized that comes, uh, when one is intermittent fasting or w- when one has been on a longer fast, those, mm-hmm. uh, the reliance of the body now in ketones instead of glucose, which it's usually, um, Relying on, uh, there's this idea too that you can take in exogenous ketones, like as a supplement form, especially while you're doing the intermittent fasting or uh, full-on water mm-hmm. fasting, or e- even a ketogenic diet, um, that help improve the amount of ketones in the body. And this is For this sure. is thought to be really a uh, powerful nootropic. I've not uh, experienced with exogenous ketones, but I think that's the next thing that I'll experiment with. Cause I have noticed a lot of benefit of that intermittent fasting and just doing it overall, uh, low carb kind of almost ketogenic diet. So the idea is like, if you don't ingest many carbs in the day, it forces your body to, uh, uh burn fat for the ketones for energy. And it's actually amazing how good the body is at doing it. Like you can, right. you can really, you know, just eat protein and vegetables and that's it. And like you'll, we're we won't even
1: evolved, miss anything. You know, and for the, like the vast majority of human history, stretching back 200,000 years, like it's only within the last, I mean, 50 years, refrigeration is a big part of it. But we were able to stockpile food, and not only that, like a lot of processed food that's shelf stable for a very long time. But yeah, it's like our our species has had to contend with hunger. For the entirety of our existence in the last few decades is completely an anomaly mm. and I, I feel like i would describe it as like we have a phobia culturally collectively of hunger like it's it's a lot to overcome that hunger is a bad thing but i think since this movement with intermittent fasting in like the last 10 or 15 years um you know not only is it going to benefit health collectively Cause it's a great way to lose weight, and obesity is a problem that's undeniable. Um, but, but then maybe too, like it'll yield some sort of spiritual insight collectively as well.
0: Mm. Yeah, uh, have you ever done long, uh, long term fasts like
1: several days or even like a, a day week. or two? A week. No, maybe 10 days, but yeah, I did uh, the master cleanse, which we are still consuming calories, so I mm. hesitate to call that a fast. It's interesting
0: the effects you get from the fast, like the first day of, um, I feel like 24 hours into the fast, that's when I really start experiencing what would be called the spiritual elements of it, Mm
2: -hmm. where
0: just increased focus seems like uh, senses are really heightened, like you'll be walking outside and like, it's probably an adaptive mechanism, because we're, we're meant to function at our best when it's most needed, in a sense where you don't have any food. So your body is like, okay you know, we're on extra, extra duty to, to be able to survive essentially.
1: Um, I noticed that because I do archery um, that my aim is a lot better and that my mm -hmm. hands are steadier when I'm hungry. Mm. So, and I think too, it has, because the ketogenic diet is like modulating glutamate and GABA. Um, So I think, you know, there's a lot of diets that would kind of replicate that, that you're talking about. Um, So maybe that's the real like biochemical benefit of stabilizing your blood sugar, how that's cognitive improving. Yeah. The
0: the fact that the ketones could be directly used by the brain always fascinates me. And Mm -hmm. the fact that it seems like it's even like easier and it's less, less work to, to use those ketones. So, it's it's interesting in this uh, in these times where uh, the carbohydrate is one of the main um, sources of food and it's understandable too. It's very dense in yeah. uh, calories. Like calories. if you were a farmer back in the day, like you weren't growing kale, like you were growing potatoes to survive because like you need calories. Well, like kale doesn't really have any Ukrainian calories. You have dense. a bias, right? That's true. <laughs> 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 yeah, we literally are. Uh, yes, the Ukrainian cooking—it's like some of the most delicious foods, but. Uh, also, pure so heavy vegetables. in carbs, like the pierogies. We call them uh, vareniki. They're basically just like carb with carb with carb. It's like nice. there's, it's nice. like stuff with these delicious potatoes with onions, nice. and then it's like basically in the outside of like a ravioli, which is just more carbs. Yes. So it's just like pure, pure I'm carbs. A fan. I've had them. Yeah, they're 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 delicious, and uh, carbs have their their place too, especially with like um, for like explosive type lifting. Oh, aerobic yeah. activity mm-hmm. they're almost like it's hard to lift well while you're in a ketogenic, uh, a ketogenic yeah i've day.
1: noticed that i mean i do i do power lifting or I, I kind of pursue that style of training like i don't compete and i do olympic weightlifting too so you know it's really a glycolytic activity like you're accessing your fast twitch muscle fibers they're relying on that metabolic pathway glycolysis to produce their energy and yeah like that's coming from carbs that's not fat So I've noticed exactly what you're talking about.
0: Yeah. It's like 20 or 30% reduction in in strength. Uh, That might just be during the adaptation stage though. I guess I've never really done um, the longest I've done like anything kind of ketogenic or really low carb is probably like, I want to say like a month or two months. Um, I don't know if, if you can adapt to it where it won't matter eventually, like the metabolic pathways will adapt to where you will be able to lift your yeah. max even with no carbs but I mean we've been from a young age like we've been adapted to, to eating carbs so yeah. maybe if you from very very young you would have like a very you have a metabolic system that was just like very good at that and wouldn't have any issue but
1: you could probably I mean I've noticed that when I because I don't respond well to like strict ketogenic I never i, I fail after like a week um, so that's probably a willpower thing but I've noticed that creatine supplementation does a pretty nice job of almost completely offsetting that loss of strength due Mm. to or a a carbohydrate deprived that makes
0: sense because it gives more kind of atp to the muscles kind of like okay cool yeah and there's um yeah so we've been through the Rastans, mushrooms different supplements i think it's really important to talk about the probably the most important things for nootropics and us being naturopathic doctors, what we tend to focus on the most, the kind of foundations of health like quality sleep and uh, getting exercise, um, just drinking enough water, getting like nutrients or just a good gen- general diet with a lot of vegetables. Uh, those things are are often thought of last for their nootropic effects. Like it's easier to just reach for like a Rastam or something like that because it's kind of, it seems like it'd be a quick fix. But in my experience, some of the most nootropic things that I've ever experienced are having a really good workout. And then like the next few hours afterwards, like the brain is just like on, I always, it was always way easier to study, way easier to read comprehension, better creativity, everything there after like a good solid amount of movement or workout. So that, Mm -hmm. that can't be, you know, you can't overemphasize how important just getting regular movement um, is on, you know, just the functioning of the mind. If you're, you know, sitting around sedentary stress hormones coursing through your blood all day long, your memory and your mind's going to falter. It can only take so much.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Well, that's one of the reasons why exercise is one of the best antidepressants. I mean, you yeah. you are optimizing your neurochemistry. You're upregulating your dopamine, your norepinephrine. You're lowering your cortisol. You're upregulating your GABA. You're upregulating sex steroids, like you know, and also yeah, uh, BDNF. Exercise and BDNF. Um, there's a, a big correlation between that. So, from the structural refurbishment standpoint, go yeah. exercise, everybody
0: yeah it, it's it's it, seriously and it that's the thing that kind of uh is a drag about exercise usually when you're least motivated and you feel the most like crap that's actually when exercise would benefit you the most
1: you do yeah i'm of that same mind it's like you you feel like crap for whatever reason you didn't sleep it's like and today's a gym day but you're like i don't want to go but then that little voice inside your head says no you know that you'll feel really good you should do this and that little voice is always right. Like it really, it. it really
0: is. There's, there's not really any time where like a good workout doesn't help just like everything.
1: So I and think that's a really important better. thing. Hmm? And you also sleep better,
0: right? Right. And getting good sleep too. I mean, that's it's not exactly easy, especially with our. You know, we have so many different sources of light and schedules of sleep, and everyone kind of has their own ideal time. But just it's been experimentally verified that long-term sleep deprivation or even sleep deprivation of a few hours every night or even one night every once in a while has significant impact on cognitive right. function, memory. I mean, what do they say that after 24 hours of not sleeping, you, it's equivalent to having uh, illegal blood alcohol. blood alcohol while you're driving? Like, Like if you didn't sleep for 24 hours... You're driving around like on a few drinks, like, that's obviously. that's your reaction speed is significantly impacted just yes. from one night of not sleeping
1: and you're I mean, I think too, like the long term damage is that it it causes the hippocampus to atrophy, which is mm. like you know the the epicenter of our ability to establish memories and then to recall
2: mm.
0: right. so th- th- those like those the sleep factor, the exercise factor, and also, getting right to the heart of how do you increase focus? How do you, you know, bring clarity to the mind and mindfulness, right? Because a lot of mindfulness uh, techniques, meditation techniques, they're focused around uh, training the mind's ability to settle, calm down, bring focus back into the body, bring uh, and hold attention to the breath. And it really trains your mind to be uh, fixed on one point. And that's a lot of the issue of, You know, loss of productivity, or you know, things just not being easy, like some work or some study or reading something, is that the focus just isn't there? Because you know we're we're bombarded with stimulus from everywhere. We got our phones, Instagram, just scrolling through, and Facebook, and everything's popping up everywhere. And we're wired in a way where it's very hard to just like sit and focus your attention on something for long periods of time because our society, our culture. there's just so much going on. It's so stimulating. It's hard to, you know, just sit down and read a book rough. for a few hours. Just that's like a feat in and of itself. in, in these right. times it was all that, you know, with technology, which is amazing. We're able to communicate and do this, but we're also able to get, you know, dopamine stimulation, like really quick, like YouTube videos, mm-hmm. just like, Video it's, yeah, exactly. So we're bombarded by all these things, but just focusing on the breath and mindfulness and calming down the nervous system, that, That along with the exercise and the good sleep is probably the strongest nootropic that exists. But that's where it gets really cool and interesting is when you're already in a good place. Like you're already getting the exercise, diet, everything's good. You're already functioning at a good level, like optimally. And then you start taking some of these. That's when you start becoming kind of like a superhuman. Otherwise, it's just um, like they talk about the benefits of the Rastams and Modafinil. One of the biggest benefits they noticed from it uh, in research was that if they took somebody who was like sleep deprived and somebody who was normal functioning, it would bring the sleep deprived person to normal functioning. But right. it would for the normally functioning person, it would only increase it by a little bit. So most of the nootropics, at least the modafinil, everything and racetams, their highest efficacy is not bringing the brain back into like a somewhat normal optimal state. If it's Deficient, so that's why they're useful, but better to just be there and then see where you can expand out of there. Awesome, yeah. So, that's I mean, that's there's so many ways to approach cognitive enhancement. Uh, obviously, there's different substances, there's dietary approaches. Um, but really, I think it's pretty straightforward, it's all really about just self experimentation, see what works for you. I know for me, like. Exercise, huge. Mindfulness, huge. And then uh, some of the different herbs and sometimes the supplements, those are really helpful. And then other nootropics as needed for like specific things that need to get done. Is there any other uh, nootropics that are near and dear to your heart that we haven't covered?
1: I think we covered all the good stuff, man. I think we did as well. Stuff that I would recommend to people mm. for various reasons.
0: Yeah. Cause there's a lot out there. I mean, every, every substance is claimed to be a nootropic at these right. times, quite a, quite a fad term. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's our exploration into cognitive enhancement nootropics with Dr. Grady Nisbet and I am Dr. Bogdan McCarchuk, We're both uh, naturopathic doctors in Oregon. And uh, we love talking about ways that people could support their health naturally. And this is the herbal hour podcast. Thank you. Uh, thank you Grady for being on the show. My pleasure. Always an excellent conversation. We'll be sure to do another fascinating episode.